Okay, I think we are live, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, welcome to the podcast, boys. Uh, we got Drake and we got uh, Chris in the building. Casey, that's right. You I'm know excited. what I'm saying? Yep. So we're gonna get this started, man. Um, yeah, no, I'm super excited for Chris to be on the podcast. Um, I remember when I was first starting my business, he uh, he helped me see my business. You know, even though it was small, and we were trying to capture our first contracts. He helped me see the vision of making myself look bigger than I was when I got in. And, you know, really, I was kind of like, let me just get in there. And let, we, just, we, we just pick a name. We pick a website and going real kind of generic. And I think we ended up signing our first uh, subscription. I mean, I might have been your first client where we did like a monthly subscription, but it was like a yearly deal. And we paid you a flat fee a month to be like our third, third, third party uh, marketing arm. Mm -hmm. And then through that relationship, you know, Drake and Chris have known each other for quite some time. I mean, they, the first venture, I think they went in together and then mm -hmm. they, they found their own ventures and separated for a little while. But, uh, but I'm excited to have you guys on the, on the show. Yes. You guys yeah. are entrepreneurs. So you guys, you know, can give us some good insight on that. So, I mean, start with the background and how you guys started your business and, and pretty much go from there. So if you want to start Chris and, and yeah. Hey. Um, so how did, how did we meet? We met at, uh, Wait, Drake, Drake and I met at, uh, at college, I guess. Yeah, at the uh, well, at the gym because you can tell, like, you know, yeah, we're, we're <laughs> real, real big, real big, real big, real <laughs> big. We want to do that. Yeah. So this yeah. is like, like high school, college, post high college, college, college. So I think it was probably sophomore, sophomore year of college, and uh, we were at the gym, and uh, I let's see, what was? Oh yeah, because it was the protein shake thing. Yeah, Drake, uh, basically, Drake was like, he forced a friendship on me. He was like, mm -hmm. we have to be friends. I'm going to force really? friends. And I was yeah. like, I don't want to be friends with this person. He, it was weird. weird you know? So, so it was, we just got done working out. And I was like, okay, well, are you going to like, you know, have your post workout protein shake? Cause mm. that's important. He's like, no, no. It's like, oh, well, you need to have one. So come, come over to my place. And he's like, no, nah, man, I'm good. I'm good. No, you, you should come over. And it just, I eventually convinced him. Usually, pretty good at convincing people. To yeah, do his stuff. roommate was weird ah. and like had, uh, like, had a, a full venison, like deer, like butchered, and at their apartment, and it smelled really weird. College. And I was like, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I never want to be around this person ever again. And then now we've been best friends for over a decade now. Yeah, a so, decade. Yeah, jeez, man. Yeah. So yeah. how did like the first talks of what are you into? What do you? What are you? Are you going to school for something? Are you mm -hmm. going to school for business? Is that kind of how? The, the relationship just built. So actually, so I was going to school for finance and he was in, was it digital media and communications? I believe was, uh, was I think at, was? at the time I was actually a biology major. Okay. Wasn't I? And then he switched over to that. Yeah. Then he switched over that. He was going to be a maxiofacial oh, surgeon. Wow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. wow. So, so I met him. I was like, this guy's this smart. So this, I need to keep him around. You just felt the vibes and you were like, yeah, yeah let me just make yeah. this happen. This yeah. friendship. You yeah. Know. This, okay. needs to, this needs huh. to stick for a while. So what was the first venture? How did that, you, what, what would you guys, how did it, so, what was it called? So I think, so it was, I think we started out, it was, it was UXL Studio was the original name and the, it was a play, you know, because we were clever college kids like UXL. Yeah. And uh, it was a marketing company mm -hmm. with the idea, like essentially Drake was like, <clears throat> he was like, hey, you do websites and you know how to like do graphic design, mm -hmm. things like that. Like, because I was passionate about that. So I would do. I'd make little, you know, funny videos in my spare time. I'd do different things, and I just kind of self-taught myself to code, things like that. Mm -hmm. He's like, I'll do the business side, and then you do all the work and uh, the creative work, and we'll start a business together. And I was like, no, that's a horrible idea. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. We're going to start a business together, 
And uh, I was like, sure. All right. If you, how about, how about this? You secure enough revenue for the first year for us to both have a salary and then I'll start a business with you. And I was thinking like, okay, that's never going to happen. And then like a week later, Drake's like, I'm okay, very cool. oriented. Yeah. He's like, cool. I got the, I got the contract secured. When are we starting the company? We've got to start a logo, you know, do a logo and build a website. So you were the driving force so initially. We, so we had, uh, yeah. yeah. So we had, uh, let's see. So I was working, I was doing an internship. So I had like three or four jobs my senior year in an internship. Um, and so I was, the uh, guy was with the internship, the head of the company said, uh, Hey guys, everyone in the company, I'm going to Dallas to secure something. So if anybody wants to come, we can talk, be cool. And nobody was taking him up on it. I'm like, wait a second. So you mean that I get to spend three hours going down to Dallas to prove that I'm worth something. And then three hours back, I was like, yes. So I go down on the way down. We're talking just was he interested in? Was he need? He's like, yeah, I got this. Uh, I got this uh, bid to do a website I've been really wanting to do. That's going to be thirty three thousand dollars. I was like, I'll do it for twenty. And uh, he's like, really? I was like, yeah, I'll do it for twenty. And so, we talk a little more about what he wants, everything. And um, well, I had built exactly zero websites uh, wow, in my life, I love and that. I knew nothing about building websites, I, but I, I knew I somebody who did. Yeah, and sure. so I was like, okay, I got this. So by the end of it, I had twenty thousand dollars secured for the website, plus enough money to cover both of our living expenses for the year. Wow! And so then, uh, then it was off to the races where we figured out how to do it. And it was, it was cool. Uh, what well, gave you the current, like, you know, most people have ideas and you had the idea, you were able to secure the funding, but like, what gave you the courage and confidence to like, you just knew analytically you can get it done. You knew someone that could create websites and you just put the puzzle pieces together. So I executed. I was like for $20,000. I mean, uh, for $20,000, I should be able to figure out how to do this. It and can't that, be this that hard to just create a website. Well, so, to be fair, the website was actually pretty cool, what we did. Um, so this was back, well, this would have been in 2010? I think it was 2010. Not many freelancers creating yeah. websites. Yeah, right. No, no, yeah, yeah this yeah, totally yeah. different, totally yeah. different environment. And so he actually wanted, he had just, the new iPad had just come out, like the mm. first iPad, that's how old this is. Um, but he wanted something that all of his, all of his associates could have the, everything on the iPad, which sounds really simple today. Commercial, like I just have it was an commercial app. real estate. Uh, he wanted basically the website to function like an app. So we use JavaScript, uh, as the logic engine to actually do some pretty innovative stuff at the time. Like it ran through your browser, but you had app like swipe functionality, mm -hmm. like, which they didn't have back then. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. you know, yeah, like yeah, when you yeah, launch yeah. an app on an iPad, you can swipe yeah. and pinch and zoom right. all, the, all yeah. the functions, but you can't do that in a website. So, or you couldn't, couldn't at the yeah. time. And so, yeah, it was the first uh, pretty innovative little website. But that that really got us going, our creative juices, and just like, mm -hmm. so that was an ad agency that we basically started. But uh, the whole Chris, goal, at that time, were you like, oh, my God, we can do this. Like, we can create, like, he just brought this money. Because you yeah, were saying, yeah, like, yeah, you yeah, didn't think he was like, going to yeah, do it. I was like, yeah, we'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. uh, no, but it was uh, it was a good little business model at the beginning. Like, what we what we started out doing is telling people, like, that uh, we could help save them money. Uh, in their operations and in their business, uh, and then reinvest those savings into marketing dollars. And so it was a, it was a pretty interesting pitch at the time, and it got people interested. They're like, "Well, if if you're not if essentially you're not going to cost us anything, then uh, then that's a great model." So, um, yeah, part of the ongoing work that we 
we did for that company uh, was Drake going in and optimizing some systems and processes where we we saved them way more money than they ever paid oh, us. Oh, yeah, it's like uh, 100 grand. Wow. Um, so you're you guys saved You're out there yeah. providing value. Like, yeah. Well, that was like right out the gate. Over time, it was... Oh, it was a lot more than that, actually, yeah. Yeah. So That's, that's interesting because I feel like that's, you know, there's a lot that goes into like... like Closing a business, like when you approach them, what what strategy you guys use to to obviously pride in the value? I think is a big closer. I mean, if you're gonna save a company a hundred thousand, then that's like huge. But what is your approach to like a new business? Like, you guys have a plan, some kind of you know strategy or something to kind of close a deal and then convince them? Well, I mean, now obviously I would, now we do it more along those lines. Back mm-hmm. then, it was just like. You know, we're in college and we just got to get it done. Um, then so we were part hustling of it, pretty yeah, hard. we were just hustling yeah. real hard. So this is where, so Chris, our, our skill sets work really well. There's a lot of things that we align on that we're very similar on being very goal oriented, being, being very driven. Um, but the places where we have very different skill sets are very complementary to each other. So, um, so for instance, Chris happens to know, you know, 1 million people. Like just so many people, and he <laughs> exactly. also, it's a, it's, and a, it's a like great three network. short of that number. It's not quite a million people, but you know, just a few. Yeah, but he, but everybody, lots of people knew him. So Chris is also super easy to talk to. You know, just you know, very approachable. And so he had lots of people. He would do a great job of getting the meeting set up, and then I was usually the one I would come in and close it, close the deal. And so we worked really well with each other. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of crazy, like how well we could we could go into a meeting and, and have something happen. Because because yeah. if I connected, it's depending on the business owner. If I connected really well, I would do most of the talking, and then Chris would interject when you know before I put my foot in my mouth or something like that, mm-hmm. or vice versa. If he connected with the owner really well, then we would we would play that, and so that's where it worked really well. To, so no matter who we're in front of, um, we could connect with them usually and talk about what was important to them. And so we also had the person who was listening able to jump in at any point to make keep us from saying anything and we just never we were okay with that yeah you guys uh you guys said a few weeks ago we were talking that you guys both like joint ventures uh and i think Mm -hmm. that we that's something that we came to realize like just naturally out of the first little thing that we did um the company ended up changing to another name uh i ended up buying drake out drake ended up doing some private equity stuff real estate development and uh, some finance things uh and ended up starting a completely different company. I kind of rolled that company into another company where we merged with a friend of mine. I've done five acquisitions in five years and uh, now we're just kind of exploring some different fun opportunities. So no, I, I love what you said about the yeah. joint ventures. I was having a conversation with a buddy uh, the other day. I don't, I, you know, I don't know if you went to public school, but in public school, I feel like it's not set up to where, you know, it's, it's take tests on your own. There's only one right answer. Mm-hmm. Um, don't, don't cooperate. Uh, and so for you early on in college to say, hey, I need to supplement some of these things that I, that I'm not necessarily great at and I need a joint venture to do that along your path. You meet a fellow named Chris and it was also just hey, you liked him. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So I love that. So I, I, I'm, I don't know how you got that early on, but it took me a while to figure out, you know, that it takes you can build more and accomplish more as a unit yep. um, mm-hmm. coming out of high school and coming out of school. It was more just kind of like, how do I do this on my own? You know? Yeah, I think being a co-partner and like really understanding like it, it helps you focus and learn your strengths too because you can see the strengths in the other person. You're like, man, they're they're mm-hmm. better at this than I am on right. like that that aspect of it. And I think that uh, makes it easier. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Like one, and you know, having 
less percentage of something that's big and awesome is better than having 100% equity in something that never really uh, makes it, you know, it comes to its full realization or life, if you will. Right. And one of the, one of the biggest things that I learned, which I've taken with me, you know, you know, obviously after he, he bought me out, like, so it's crazy. This is how good of friends we were. We were roommates and business partners at the same time. And like, so we're spending 18 waking hours a day together, just sitting there like planning, like, okay, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And we're in a you know, new business. So we're just in there grinding, 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 grinding. So that, that was cool. Um, but also one of the big things that I learned was find someone who wants to go to the same places that you want to go. Right. And so you have your goals aligned right. and that in any sort of relationship with any sort of relationship you have, whether it's a friendship, you know, a personal relationship or a business relationship, like that is a huge deal. Cause if you're going in the same direction and you both know and trust that you're going in the same direction, you're giving the other person grace when they, whatever they're, when they're making a decision, when you really disagree on something, mm. you know that, okay, well, they're trying to go the same direction, the same place that I'm trying to get to. And because of that, if they disagree this strongly with me, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're, that I'm, they're seeing something that I'm not. Love and so that, that, that becomes a that huge, deal. that becomes a huge mm-hmm. deal because you are going to have arguments and disagree about stuff. And, mm-hmm. but if you know you're going to the same place and you're not worried about, Oh, are you trying mm-hmm. to screw me? And that's why we're disagreeing. Mm-hmm. So that's, that I think is, that's probably the biggest thing that I have. One of the biggest things that I've learned from like from our, mm-hmm. our business partnership. So would you say it's uh, essential to build a strong like friendship when you guys like like let's say you meet a business partner like you want to build that a strong like relationship as far as friendship um you think that would make it easier for like disagreements or I don't know that that's necessary as much as uh understanding your core values mm-hmm. and their core values and like looking for alignment there I mean like even <clears throat> you know being in a partnership or uh you know, even working together in other capacities. Like, you know, I think the reason Casey and I vibe so well is just we got to know each other, like, you know, and what our core values are. And, and like Drake said, like, where where do we want to go? And and can we work together in a way that helps us both get there? And uh, I think the core values matter a lot. I mean, I we probably wouldn't be sitting here today if, if our values weren't mm-hmm. in alignment in mm-hmm. some ways, you know? Totally yeah. could agree. And it was fun. I mean, yeah. meeting at the hookah lounge and... You know, he knew that I had, he could tell I had value, I had an idea, but he gave me the idea of how to brand it and give me those and how to, how to show the, the organizations that I was ready. And so, yeah, and it was fun. It was yeah. fun. I think that was the most important thing. Um, one of the big questions I have for you is, and I, I take it from my own experience, but as, as I, I've started a company and sold a company, I've started to realize where my strengths are. And most entrepreneurs, they come in, they want to be entrepreneurs and not everyone's necessarily meant for it. Um, I knew quickly when I was trying to run the operation side and be a CEO and create processes for folks to be on time, it was kind of dragging me Mm -hmm. where I was excited to create the deal and show the value and be able to communicate that well. Through your guys's, you know, business ventures and, and your experience, have you started to realize yourselves that you have strengths that you like to focus on? And, and not necessarily be just a full-blown entrepreneur and CEO of your own ventures? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think as you get older, you realize uh, more and more about yourself all the time. Uh, I think that for me, uh, 
I've realized that I'm almost like a textbook visionary. Um, if you've ever read the book Rocket Fuel, it kind of talks about how uh, certain types of businesses are very, very successful when they pair a, a strong integrator with a strong visionary, and that creates rocket fuel, like the mixture of that. And uh, the examples that they give in the book are, you know, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. You know, Steve Jobs was the visionary. He cast the vision. You know, said, hey, we're going to go this direction, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it is unclear for everyone else. He had a crystal clear vision, and then he had the right people to execute behind him. Uh, same thing with Walt Disney and his brother. Like, Walt Disney would have run the uh, the business bankrupt a million times over if it wasn't for his brother, like, strategically doing the complicated business mm -hmm. deals behind the scenes to make everything work, to make mm -hmm. the the Disney magic come it's to like life. That he, was the, he was the real genius behind it, but Walt was the face and the visionary. And oftentimes uh, the visionaries are more focal. I'm not usually like the type of person that wants to be very public. I don't, I don't care to do that. I, uh, but I realized that I'm very good at, and Drake came up with this analogy. I'm very good at building the hamster wheel, but I let other people run on it. Oops, sorry. Mm, okay. Um, so, like, I'll build the hamster wheel, but then other people are going to run run oh. the hamster wheel. Huh. So you have, like, uh, build a brand and, like, let somebody be the face of it, but you're behind the scenes just doing all the, you know, making it bigger and doing all the negotiations and just trying to make it bigger overall. Yeah, yeah. I think that, uh, you know, I'm not the guy, like, like Casey was saying, like, I'm not the guy that's going to make the, the processes and the systems. I can think about it and I can say, hey, um, I know that we need to fix some of these issues and I, uh, we need to figure out, you know, we need to figure out a process or a system to fix this, but I'm not going to be the one to actually put the pen to paper and execute it and roll it out to, to the staff. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, Casey was telling me that you're obviously big into like, creating content you like graphic uh designs and stuff mm -hmm. um do you like doing content for yourself or like is it more on business or what is Man, it i i haven't made uh i've actually done creative work in years uh the the company you know kind of rolled into bigger and bigger things Projects. where we had uh we had teams and departments mm. that, uh, of people that were much more talented than i was or am uh, doing, you know, as of late, uh, you know, the videos or the graphics, uh, things like that. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't, I can do it. I can uh, still do that, you know, dust the cobwebs off probably, but uh, yeah, no. What, what kind of creative work, like when it comes to, like, is it like maybe like a short skit or is it like more of a commercial? Uh, the, the companies that I ran, they, they were video production mm -hmm. uh advertising agency yeah uh, things like that so okay. more traditional like uh digital media content yeah. see i would like to be a part of a uh, at least a short film yep. you know a big production because i want to see how everything goes i did my one of my bucket listing to do is actually being like a hollywood production just to see how that process is behind the cameras and scripts and all that good jazz because i feel like that to me is fascinating how they put that together and they want to make us feel some kind of emotion that's the whole you know mission of the director and producer and stuff so i think i've always been fascinated by that and i think it's a it's a art you know it's a it's, it's awesome i mean oklahoma's up and coming with all the film stuff going on um uh i think telling stories is really important i think that's why even like i love the idea that you guys are doing this podcast i love being here because i love telling stories and um at the core that's i mean that's what i've done for 
my entire career is tell stories. Like, so I don't really think about it being the, the, the creative or the, the services or the, the, the product right. that we created over the years was more, uh, I would, you know, like did it to help tell Casey's story when, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when we helped him with his stuff, uh, it wasn't, I didn't want to make a logo because it was going to be the best logo ever or, right. you know, the best website ever that it was going to win awards or something like that. It was more, Hey, how do we help Casey tell his story and accomplish his goals? Well, that's, that's a big thing too, is when you're, when you're helping someone, you're focused on how this will work for them as opposed to what it will do for you. Mm. And so if you can maintain that focus on whoever you're serving, the customer or the client, then that, that will really set you apart from, from other businesses. And so like, you know, wanting to make it the best logo ever, are you making that the best logo? Or are you making that because it's going to be the most effective thing for right. what Casey wants to do? Yeah. I think that's important. I think storytelling is huge on all aspects, music, videos, films, even podcasts, just people telling their story and just, I think that's huge. And like it a lot provides of people, perspective for people yes, that need it and that yeah. are looking for it. That yes. don't, you know, one of the biggest things that I want to ask you, Drake is like, you know, hearing your stories and how you were good at, at uh, raising capital and, you know, someone that's young, that has an idea that's so that that's, that's strong about it, full spirited about it, but has no resume to show an investor that, Hey, I've done something and accomplished it before. How do they have the confidence and what things did those early investors find in you that they were able to give you, you know, was it your, your, you had every answer to every question they knew, you know, you did your due diligence, you know, what were some of the main things investors looked at you early on to give you that capital and trust you? So there's several layers to that. One, I'd already had somewhat of a track record of being able to do things. I'd already shown that I could start a business. I've already shown that I can, you know, get some money together to do stuff. I've already shown that I can, can close that I could, uh, so I'd shown some of that. Um, that was part of it. Being able to answer questions, yes, is super important. One note just on raising capital, just in general. Um, I would always encourage pe- people have an idea um, and they want to go raise capital. There are a lot of ways to do things without raising capital. And more people, instead of thinking that, instead of thinking that money is the tool that will solve your problems, money will just get you where you're going a little bit faster. And if you're going in the wrong direction, it will get you off a cliff really quickly. And so, great. And now I love that. Yeah. yeah, So it it just accelerates everything. And so, it it is beneficial to actually go in and try to do what you can to at least get started. Um, at least get started without uh, raising capital. Um, make it a side hustle. Make it something like that. Like that is actually one kind of crazy thing about the different businesses that we've started. Is so typically when you start an ad agency, you don't start the way we started it. You start it by going and working for a normal ad agency. You get you usually win favor with one of the clients. They really like you, and you think, oh, I want to start my own thing. So you then take that client. Mm-hmm as your main anchor client in order to go do this. So you've already established some expertise relationships, but also the expertise of performing some of the necessary ad agency functions for us. Just starting not having done really any of it on a professional level is kind of insane. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my last business that, um, that you were alluding to that I started um, was an an internet service provider, which I had exactly zero expertise in. And I had a partner, (laughs) I had a partner who was the one who had all the expertise and 
And before that, he built a, and before that, he built a luxury RV park on Monkey Island. Yeah. Oh so God. I just get thrown into random stuff. It's all over the place for drink. Yeah, I had never done that before, but I set all that up, and yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. But um, wait, let me interject real quick to answer your question directly. I think that Drake is uh, there's a TED talk about this that talks about the only scientific metric for success. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing here, so don't uh, don't Google it and do a side by side comparison <laughs> in the final cut. But it was something along the lines of like um, the only scientifically proven metric for success is not intelligence it's not capital it's not uh, all the things that we we think it's grit it's just like are you willing to put in the work and show up every single day i think that drake mm. has that uh and so i think that i agree with what he's saying though like i think capital comes with it with its own problems um so i we, you know so that that uh, saying is true. More money, more problems. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that if you can let something uh, start it, bootstrap it, let the idea breathe, and really work through a lot of the issues first, and then have a very clear vision, that's when you should capitalize mm -hmm. a uh, a project or idea. Growth mm -hmm. capital, growth capital makes a lot more sense than startup. You're capital also giving less than less of your equity away, mm -hmm. uh, and. Uh, and product market, especially with brand new things, like brand new, brand new things, you're looking at product market fit. And so seeing where your product fits in the market and who wants it and where they want it. And it can be very expensive to find that while being under the pressure of you have to grow. So, I mean, I had weekly calls with my investor and he sold his company for one and a half, I think it was one and a half billion. And he, then they went public. And so this is a guy who is, you know, been, uh, he wasn't on the call, but they're having to answer very difficult questions as a public company from, you know, from Wall Street analysts. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in there every week and he's asking me questions. And I tell you what, like I'm, I'm pretty eloquent and I'm pretty smart and I've never been stumped so many times in my life of like, oh crap, I should know that. Like he would just ask all sorts of questions. So it was like trial by fire with that. But um, it it is something where it, it you have you have accountability. Great. And if you're if you're if you are able to bootstrap it and then get the growth capital once you've figured out some of your niche, like there. And obviously it depends on what kind of business you're starting. But most people, everybody wants to, you know, they're like, oh, I have this idea for an app and they you know want to go raise a whole bunch of money and bootstrap it. I think the first thing is like, how can I do this cheaply without money? And how can I learn how to do some of the elements of this or find a partner who also knows how to do this, who believes in this to where it, it, it lowers your risk as well? I, I do think that also it, bootstrapping something uh, is a little bit more pure in like an entrepreneurial, uh, you know, heart if the, like a it's more pure to the entrepreneurial heart because uh most people say oh i want to be an entrepreneur i want to start my own business because they want some sort of freedom they don't like the the box that they're currently in or mm -hmm. the boxes that they have access to right now right so it's like i'm in this box or i realistically only see that i can you know go over to this box or over to this box so i want to remove the box and become you know i want to build the box essentially for myself that i want mm -hmm. if you get an investor with uh, where it's not a sizable amount of money, then you, you might have the freedom still, but then why did you get the money in the first place if you could just do it without it? If you're getting a large amount right. of money, there's a ton of accountability that goes along with that. And it, it's almost, a, almost a, in my opinion, a heavier burden than having a boss mm -hmm. or a mm -hmm. box. Like you, yeah. have a, you have a boss, a boss that has entrusted you with a lot of capital 
And, and some people are more laissez-faire with it. It's like, well, this is, you know, our series A and, you know, right. they just, they treat it like, uh, like fiat currency yeah. or you're just like, this, like but with no track record, they get insight. with, with no track record, they get invested in one time and that's it because they were laws too laissez-faire with it. Yeah. So your yep. advice pretty much is to try to create what you want to create without getting any, do as much as you can, as much as you can, do as much as you without can without involving mm-hmm. any kind of yeah. capital yeah. or investor. Or, you mm-hmm. know, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, cause I raised, I raised the money and there was, um, there was a lot that w- there was a lot of things that we did that were the result of the fact that we had a bunch of money that we had to pay back. Um, mm. And so that it is, it does in the same way people think it's free and they'd also don't understand that it, like you said, it can weigh you down in what you can or can't do. Right. And so if you like, so, Oh, well I've decided, I've seen the market and I've decided we completely need to pivot this way. Now you have to convince someone who's given you a whole bunch of money to go one way that you need to go a different way. And so, whereas if you had done some stuff early on to try and figure out, hey, which way do I actually need to go? Um, then you're coming to that, uh, you're coming to that person with something besides just an idea. You have more of an expertise. You know what's going to be like, hey, it makes me more here's, comfortable to get yeah, you exactly. It's like, here's uh-huh. what I, here's what I've done. Here's what I've tried. And here's what I've seen succeed. Now I need to get the money to actually take this to the next level Huge as nice. opposed to just, as opposed to just, hey, I have this idea. I haven't done anything before. I don't really know what I'm like. So the, and there's always going to be trial and error and mm-hmm. you're going to always oh, yeah. switch direction because you're trying to see what works, what doesn't work and what sticks. And, mm-hmm. what, and it's easier to so. switch direction, especially at smaller scale. Yeah. Because let's say, because let's say you, and because it's so like, so our business was, uh, or my business was uh, internet service provider. And so we have to, you know, put large antennas on towers. We're then broadcasting out to, to other, other people and connecting their houses with internet. And so there is some cost, you know, there's, you know, several hundreds of thousands of dollars that is a sunk cost. So I can't go, eh, you know, actually this market sucks. I need to go over and I need to go right. build it in this other town or, and you can't do that because now you are in that pool. You have to play in that playground and you have to make it work. And so, um, and you have to do all that mm-hmm. while you're burning capital. Cause you're not, ne- you usually owe more and are spending more money than you're bringing in early on. And so you have the stress of that plus the stress of, actually figuring out and fine tuning that's that. a grind yeah <laughs> yeah and then, like they always say you know for most businesses is like when they start is there the first three years are going to be the rough road you're normally not even getting generating no kind of revenue for yourself it's just mm-hmm. trial and error figuring it out until like they say once you get through that third year of business and then the ride seems a little bit more easier obviously if you strategize and you know yeah. find ways to grow the business so mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty, that's good insight. That's good insight, man. Uh, you guys say you uh, had an ad agency. You guys don't have that anymore? Or is it still running? Uh, the ad agency is still around. Yeah. Uh, it just consolidated into one brand right now. So it's, uh, you know, all the, the acquisitions over the last five years have now combined into one company. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, so I'm more in an executive, uh, executive advisor role now. Uh, okay. So, yeah. So the process of like, okay, half core water comes to you like, hey, uh, how can we make this brand bigger? What is the process on that? Like, like, do you guys just run ads all over the place, radio, TV, billboards, or how does that work? If we're going to help scale this podcast, what are some good insights and ideas? Because that's what I think when you say like ad agency, I'm thinking like ways to just get in front of the audience, right? I I think in general, uh, I think people get like really down in the the weeds on some of that stuff they're like well i should do i should post this many times or i should make this type of 
thing. I think at the end of the day, it's it's storytelling. Like storytelling, at the end of the day, is always the most impactful way to bring awareness to anything. Um, and so, like, dig down deep and find those stories to be told. And I, I think that's why podcasts are so they're becoming more popular. People are spending so much time consuming them because they're they're authentic, real stories that people are telling. So. Like, like, we didn't talk about what we were going to talk about today beforehand. Like, you know, none of us right. really were like, hey, this is the box that we're going to put ourselves in. We just said, hey, let's, I think that let's have we, a conversation. we all enjoy hanging out. Let's, ha- let's have a conversation. So I think uh, as far as, like, you know, scaling the podcast, I would just work on the storytelling, you know? Like, think about the, just like you were doing today, you thought, you know, Drake and I had some interesting things to say. Like, keep bringing fun people in. You know, uh, use their audience to build your audience, too. Mm. Uh, everybody's moving more towards... Uh, and they kind of understand that a brand, a personal brand is more important now than ever. Like, you know, we spend a lot of time networking in real life uh, and meeting people. And, you know, like Drake said earlier, I, I know a lot of people uh, in Oklahoma City. But outside of that, I don't have a big network. But mm. with uh, digital media and things like that, you can become your own uh, personal brand and, and really expand that. So I think that working on personal branding and storytelling. That's think, huge. Uh, those kind of coupled together. Because, like, right now, if, if Casey had a million followers on TikTok, you know, you would have a much easier time building the brand that is mm-hmm. this. And I think that whatever you guys, you guys are both entrepreneurial guys, like, whatever you guys are wanting to do next, building your own in brand and investing that is going to help with whatever you do next. It's going to help with what you're doing now. And Creates a funnel and an engine. Yeah, and it's yeah. a... Yeah, and I agree. I, I think that one of the important things is to know your audience, know who your audience actually is, and think when you're thinking through, you can reverse engineer it a little bit. And like, what is some, what are their interests and what would they like to hear? What kind of stories would they like to hear? Also a process of discovering your audience as mm-hmm. well. Some of it is discovery, yeah. yeah. And once you discover it, then also thinking about that. So, and thinking through that. So, you know, even within a small the small town that we were doing internet for i knew who i liked and who i didn't like as an uh, as, as, my, a as my potential customer yeah and so what we what we tend we he liked the ones that were paying him money the ones that did not pay him money <laughs> yeah. He's target those customers. yeah yeah that is one thing but it, it was also uh there's also a customer profile that we have and this is who we're going to play well to this is who we're we're not going to play well to because i you know for all an, five an, of an the avatar, years. if you will, like you're creating like, you know, customer avatars of like, hey, mm-hmm. this is what a typical good customer for us will look like. It's, yeah. you know, Susie Q and she's, uh, you know, housewife or whatever, however you want to you know, describe that avatar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like for us, it was it was a matter of uh, of understanding that. And because we had a, a major Internet service provider that did like one and a half billion a year in a price war with us the entire time we were in existence, the entire time we were growing and so I need to know if I'm taking marketing dollars and I'm deciding where do I want to spend that, but I need to grow and scale at the same time, I can either go after everyone and get mm, some people, or I can focus specifically on who I care about. And what for us, it was the person who was really upset about customer service with some of the, some of the big providers. You call your internet service provider, you're upset about you know, the way that they treat you being on hold for four hours and, you know, you know, I need an appointment. Okay, we'll be there sometime between tomorrow at 8 a.m. and next month. 
And so, you know, mm. that person who wants, you know, the handheld service, they worked really well. They were less price sensitive. So they were willing to spend a little bit more money to have a little bit better service. And that was, that was what allowed us finding those people was what allowed us to grow and scale. And then, so, and focusing on that created a very strong network that allowed to create a really strong word of mouth, which actually allowed me to scale down our marketing dollars so that we were essentially running 100% word of mouth and we were growing. The last year before I sold it, we grew 50%. Oh, wow. And so at Google, we grew 50% before I sold it. We grew 80% that year. Wow. Mm. Geez. So what, what made but because, you... Because we knew our audience. What made you take that decision of like, you're in the process of growing your business, it's growing by 80%. You know, there's, I'm assuming, a lot of revenue coming in, and you're mm -hmm. like, I'm just going to sell this. Mm -hmm. What made you make that decision? Uh, there were several factors. Uh, one was it. Was it too the, stressful? The business was built for my, who the person that was my business partner. Um, it was built on his expertise. It was not um, anything that I was supposed to be running full time. Um, then I found myself running it full time because I needed to. And so it wasn't tailored to really any of my interests um, in fact it was kind of the antithesis of my interests and stuff so i was having to go install internet on people's houses i was having to climb towers and i'm afraid of heights i was having to but you were part uh, of that initial talk of investment so you wanted to see you see yeah. your part through yeah yeah the, I, that I, was the investor the yeah that the investor the invested because of me of you because and relied I heavily on yeah you. he and so i'm not this is my first like real investment I'm not going to lose your money. I mean, you don't want to be installing yeah. internet on the house. Yeah, no. Yeah. Drake, Drake no. was supposed to be much more. You were being the, the octopus doing everything. Yep. Yeah, Drake Pretty was much. supposed to be more of a, in a marketing role, kind of like CFM An type operations. role operations. Yeah. That's and great. That's... He ended up just doing what it took to, to you know, keep the business going and grow it. And like, I think that's, dude, with any entrepreneurial activity, you got to ask yourself like, why do you need to grow? Why are you Why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you need to grow? I always but say then, that, man. And part yeah. of it then put in the work. Part of it also was part of it also was looking at it. Okay, looking at the industry. So you know, if you're if you're an, if you're an entrepreneur, you also have to have your head on a swivel. Where's the market going? What's it going to do? And I knew that where what our model was was going to need to change dramatically over the next five years. And so I'm looking at this, going, okay, everything's going to fiber, mm -hmm. not wireless like mine is. Everything's going to fiber. I'm doing all, all of this like kind of by myself. Um, I had I had a great, I, that's not true. I was doing a large percentage of it. I had a really great team. I love the people that I, I worked with, but looking at what we need to do to go to the next level, I either need to sell this or I need to go raise a couple million dollars and build out an entire fiber network by myself. Wow. And if I'm already not necessarily enjoying what I'm doing right now, I'm going to have to double down on that in order to get, out and the people that are coming to compete with me are coming with billions of dollars wow. not not like <laughs> they're not it's not like it's not like small potatoes and so I think looking at it looking at i needed to join up with someone who also had that vision who was bigger mm -hmm. and that would be the best thing for my employees to help maintain them that would be the best thing for the customers because they'd be getting better service and that would be the best thing for me because i would be a part of a larger organization that could take care of things and then i could exit out of that i think the mm -hmm. telling the story of how you uh, found your buyer was really interesting too because i think that's mm -hmm. something that like the, i think it's kind of a popular topic right now in the entrepreneurial world, like uh, our f mutual friend Brian Clifton, mm -hmm. uh, Casey knows Brian, uh, says that entrepreneurs are the, the modern day rock stars. 
you know, people see people like Elon Musk and, and, and people yeah, like that as like, yeah, they're the rock stars of our, our day. Um, but uh, so that we, it's sexy to talk about like building something to sell it. Like there's a book called Built to Sell. And so like, you know, a lot of people have the idea, like I'm going to build something, I'm going to sell it. Uh, but like what that actually looks like is interesting and how that comes about. Cause it's like, who's out there just buying businesses or who, who's out mm-hmm. there? Like, you know, like where does that, is there, you know, is there a business broker? Like, you know, for him, it was, a, I think it was, you would not have sold your company if you had not had your head on a swivel mm-hmm. or you're just like looking around for opportunity at, at every given, if you were too buried in the operations and didn't have the vision of where you, that's huge, where you needed to go, you would still be in that company right now. So like mm-hmm. telling that story, I think is a little interesting if you want to jump into that. Yeah. So, uh, so internet service provider government is getting ready to, uh, well, they're dumping a bunch of money into trying They're essentially, you know, with electricity, electricity got to all the houses because the government put a bunch of money and said, this is important. We need to do it. Um, the government is now going, internet's important. Everyone's on it. We need it to all be better. Um, because, uh, the United States is actually pretty far behind on internet service. Yeah, these um, were rural yeah. areas. Yeah, these were rural right areas. This is a town of 12, 14,000 yeah. that I was at. And so they're putting money into that. And so um, my investor set up a meeting with the USDA and to see if we can get some money for that. It turns out we couldn't. But he said, who, he offhandedly mentioned that the list had come out of who won. I was like, really? Some people that just got a bunch of government money to do stuff? could I get that list? He's like, yeah, it's all public. I'll send it to you. So I found the people that won in the areas of our list and I found a way to contact them. Um, but I either, either, I either found a, either found a conference that they were going to, or I literally drove to one of them. The one that ended up buying us was an Amarillo. I drove to their office, walked in and said, Hey, I saw that you guys want some, uh, want some funding from the government. I know that if I was doing this again, I would rather buy something and scale it rather than just build it from scratch. And if you do it that way, you don't have to compete with me when you come in. So here's my card if you're interested, because it was just wow. front desk person. So basically he went to uh, a potential competitor and said, uh, I know exactly, you have all this money now from the government. I know what you what your requirements are to receive that as a grant so you're not going to have to owe it back to fulfill your grant obligations. You need to buy my company. And uh, I'm for sale. Wow. So ah, I love that. Smart. Huge. Yeah, because they were eventually they were going to start their own. Mm-hmm. Like, OK, so that they would have tried to. Well, it's a regional expansion grow. for them. Yeah. So they're already in Amarillo. They've, they've got they were actually 10 times our size. And mm-hmm. so, you know, but, but they have to expand. And so I'm thinking about thinking about all the logistics of expansion. Not only do they have to expand, but they also have to find people to run it. They have to find people to so you build them a lot. Build build it too. Yeah, and so it's like yeah. I've got a good I've got a good hub for you. Also, um, in a separate deal, you if you want me to stay on because I figured that was going to be part of the deal um, for a little bit, I will stay on and help run it. And now you don't have to worry as much about going into Western Oklahoma from Amarillo and trying to find someone who is competent, trustworthy, and understands your business. You gave them a red carpet, pretty much, mm-hmm. to, for them to just walk yep. in and. Have everything set, structure, all that yeah. good jazz. But the due and diligence to know what the state was giving, what they were requiring, mm-hmm. going in person. You know, most people will send an email nowadays. And to go in person, give that talk, and provide your card, just co- the presentation comes a lot. It's then sending yeah, I think an email. That, yeah, face-to-face, mm-hmm. you know, you, first yeah, impression. You have to drive down there to do that. It's like Chris was saying, story is everything. Yeah. And so the wow. way you present yourself is in itself a story. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I, 
Yeah, would you want to compete with the guy that was uh, putting that much work together to just yeah, come out? Exactly. And, yeah, it's like it's like oh, clear. and like whatever that person has built is clearly valuable. You know, it's like yeah. And also, I'm grown. I've you know, it's 2020, and I've grown 50 percent this year. So I'm I'm right. It's to a certain extent, you know, the numbers make sense. The numbers make sense, and you're trying to catch a train that's already already going. I mean, so, I, think, I think both of us have learned throughout our career, though, that uh, that acquisitions for if if a company needs to go from here to here, acquisitions can be a really beneficial way to do that. So, like you know, as he's working his business, he's seen how I've been able to scale this little bitty marketing agency to uh, you know dozens of employees in a very relatively short period of time. And, and I mean, ad agencies are a very competitive. Um, field uh our company was the largest uh, video production company in oklahoma like size wise staff wise like we were winning emmys and things like that we that all came very quickly and we did that through strategic strategic acquisition uh and so instead of saying um we need to you build know, we're going to build this process we're going to build this system out or we're going to hire or train these people we go okay who around us is doing better than we are who's like for me, when you're saying like, oh, do you make the content? It's like, no, I've always understood that there's better people than I am. So the first acquisition that we did was a, a company called Scissortail Media. And I was blown away by this company. I was like, I thought they had like 20 people behind this little bitty team. And it was five people. And they were, they had all the, the big clients. It was like they were doing work for the Thunder. They, uh, OG&E, they did the, uh, the courtside experience video for the Thunder. They did uh, OG&E's mm -hmm. Go Green campaign. They did this really, really outside-the-box, different type of corporate uh, benefits video uh, for Kim Ray. And I was like, dude, these videos are amazing. Were they ever sell? Or did you? Well, uh, no. Okay. I don't think anything that we've bought, any company we've acquired, were, were for sale. Wow. I don't think anyone was like, yeah, you know, it's here it is, you know, buy it. It was yeah. more uh, obviously they had cash flow coming in, but yeah. how did you how did that talk start? Um well, Drake was like, uh, <laughs> I know this guy, you just need to buy his company. And I started looking at it, I was like, Man, you were you're right. Like, cause the the video work that we were doing uh, was good, but it wasn't great. And it was like, we can't build out build it. It would take us five years to do what these guys are doing. So like doing an aqua hire was what the only thing that made sense, like getting the people as well, because mm -hmm. the people in this industry are the talent. And so, yeah, anyway, uh, a group that Casey's involved in called the Council of Entrepreneurs. I was in one group. He was in one group. Casey was in a, a different group. And uh, Drake was like, hey, I've got this guy named, named Will. He's got this company, Scissortail Media. It's been around for 10 years. He's got a unique opportunity. He's got a virtual reality uh, software platform that has scaled now to the largest virtual reality software platform in the world accidentally. He's like, he really needs to take some time to pivot and work on that and, and raise some additional funds to accomplish his goals with that. But he has this great video production company that he doesn't want to let go of and wants to keep going and all this different stuff. You need to tell it. him that you're going to buy it. And so we, uh, we through kind of Brian Clifton, I, I you know met with him and I was like, Brian, what do you, what do you think of this idea? And he was just like, I like it. Uh, let's, let's put together. So Brian basically facilitated the transaction and, uh, yeah. That's awesome. So that was uh, the company you bought, was it the Scissor Tell? That was, yeah, the first acquisition that yeah. I did. Yeah. Uh, and you guys won an Emmy? Uh, yeah, through that company, uh, I have two Emmys as a executive producer. Jesus. Yeah. 
That's huge. You know, you know what I get the most as the viewers I see we have today is like what I get out of what your guys' stories is is the closed mouths don't get fed, the the no fear to go in and ask. Yep. And I think most people they overthink things. And we talked about jumping last podcast. And, you know, where did you guys get that? Is it just the experience of you guys built? You, you knew you were providing value or you knew that you could scale their company. But what gave you the courage to go in there and just ask and say, you know, present the ideas that when you guys are. I don't know. I think it, I would say I think it's a natural trait for both of us a little bit. But mm -hmm. it's something like with any trait or exercise, like the more you work it out, the more confident, you know, that you become doing it. And so. I think that uh, I think that one reason we why we became friends in the beginning because we were you know friends first before we did anything work wise and we really haven't even worked together in years but uh, I think just we both knew that we were showing up just showing up and putting in the work showing up putting in the work showing up putting in the work like I I truly believe that if like today Drake was like hey we should start a company selling hamburger buns like I got this idea and I know it's gonna work and like. Not saying that we would definitely do that, but the best we're, can make something probably, happen. we're probably going to have a, at least a two-hour conversation about it if he's actually serious about it, you know, and, right. and see where it goes. Because it's like, uh -huh. I do believe that he could make, if, if with the right parameters and the way he shows up and puts in the work, it would work. And that's why I don't want to run. That's huge. I don't want to run a hamburger buns or hot dog, buns. Hot, hot dog buns. Might be maybe that's a little better than yeah. hamburger buns. But the other thing too, though, is like so is really thinking through it. Part of what makes it easier is most people ask are asking for the sale to get something. Like I'm asking for the sale to get money from you. That's the wrong way of thinking about it. I need to be thinking about it from I'm actually delivering value to you. And you will be happy to give me money if I'm giving you more value than the money that you're getting. Yeah. Important. So and that's that's a huge thing, but we we most people don't do a good enough job of thinking through the value proposition that they have, in which case it's really easy to ask for stuff. Because if I believe that this bottle of water is really going to well, <laughs> sell me this pen, you know, yeah. when, you know, if you're, <laughs> if you're thirsty and you're dying of thirst, this bottle of water is offering you a lot of value. And if you have 10 bucks and you're dying of thirst, guess what? You want this bottle of water more than that $10. Mm -hmm. And so it's, that's an extreme example. And we're not trying to do extortion here, but that's where the value comes in. And if there really is their value, nobody gives, nobody, they'll give you money all day long. And so that's what I think really matters. The guy needed a website built. Mm. Well, I'll do it for $13,000 less than every bit, than every bit out there. Bit out there. Mm. And that's, that well, was yeah. essentially a long-term yeah. relationship yeah. Yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, I think that's huge. And that's why it, it's key for us. So we consume Gary V content. Cause that's the mentality. It's like with this podcast is provide value as long as we can. So when we d dive into a project, and we start like monetizing, then it's like blindly like people will give us, yeah, you know, whatever. Like you if we do more merch, loyalty. yeah, if we want to do an NFT in the future, whatever. Like it's like boom, they they know that we provide a value for so long that they can you know trust us and and you know. So that's always looking at it long run value. Speaking boom, of that's one, huge. One one thing you said that I want to say real quick is uh, it made me think of this. I think the best business advice that I've ever had was from a book that he recommended uh, called Getting More. And it's, it's a negotiation book. You guys should both check it out. Um, but they have, oh yeah, they have these principles on how to get more out of life, out of your business, out of any negotiation. Because life is always you're you're always negotiating, whether you're thinking about it or not. 
you're negotiating something. And one of the concepts that I love in that book, and I, and I use this almost every day, is trading items of unequal value. And so the concept of that is like, we're always trying, we're seeing things through our lens and saying like, what do I want out of this situation? Like he said, what does the other person want out of the situation? I'll, I'll give a story mm-hmm. about, uh, so I just finished reading this book and I was like, man, it's such a good book. You know, all these different great principles. Um, I go to the tire shop and uh, my tire had, you know, had a flat, they fixed it. And uh, when they fixed it, they said, hey, the tire pressure gauge is broken you should take it to the dealership and they'll, they'll get it fixed or whatever. So I take it to the dealership and they say, Hey, just so you know, the, the tire shop actually broke this, like the way it's broken, like there's no way that this was already broken. So here, you know, it was like 600 bucks to fix it. They were like, we're going to fix it, but you should really go back to the tire shop and say like, you guys broke this. And so I do that. Um, what's interesting. It was a Hibton's. There was a huge, huge, huge line inside Hibton's it was near the end of the day. And, uh, right as I walked in, the lady just yells, she's like, I will get to you when I can. I'm sorry. The uh, the other two stores are closed down right now because of construction. So we're overloaded. None of us have even eaten lunch today. So have some patience. And that was because everybody was just trying to get her attention. And so uh, this was on like Memorial. and That's exactly the lady that you want to walk in and be like, yeah. hey, you screwed up. No. Yeah, you screwed up. <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want to do yeah, that. you screwed up. You know, uh, <laughs> and so what was interesting is like, okay, so I heard what was the most important thing to her that little throwaway at the end, we haven't even eaten lunch. So I look across the street, the hotline light is on at Krispy Kreme. I was wow. like, you know what? I'm going to go get a box of Krispy Kreme donuts for the staff here. Because if, if they haven't eaten lunch, you know, a $10 box of donuts is going to put a smile on people's face. So I, I come in with a big, like, you know, several boxes of, of Krispy Kreme donuts. And I walk through the door and she just makes direct eye contact with me in a sea of people. And she's like, who are you and, and what are you, what are those? And I was like, oh, I heard earlier that you were, uh, you were hungry, you hadn't eaten lunch, the staff hadn't eaten lunch. And, uh, you know, I just, I saw the, the light was on across the street. I thought I'd bring you guys donuts. And she was just like, um, you, uh, come around. What, who are you and what do you need? And I was like, well, you know, it seems like you're busy, you know, so we can do this another time. But, you know, my, my, uh, you guys had broken the tire pressure gauge. And I wanted to see, like, what, you know, what could be done about that. And what's crazy is she goes, you're going to get helped today and you're going to have your problems solved. She's like, I'm going to call the district manager. He's going to drive down today and he's going to get you a check today for the cost of your repair. And I was like, what? I wait like 30 minutes. He shows up and he just has me like slide his, my card into their little POS system. And he credits my credit card with the amount for the bill from the dealership. And I was like, I didn't even know they could do that, but he just like loaded like 600 bucks on my card for buying some boxes of donuts because I traded items of unequal value. And that, I would have never got what I wanted that day. Huge. That is, and that's huge because I used to uh, be a waiter at a restaurant in Puerto Rico. Uh, it was a tourist restaurant and I had to put myself in those positions to understand like, you know, if my order gets messed up, where like most people are like, ah, oh, my order got messed up and they'll go on with an attitude like you messed up my order. And it's like, I feel like people need to go through that so they can be more understanding because I'm very understanding. Like, you know, you mess up my order or is it taking a little bit longer than usual? Then, you know, I'm more like, okay, no you, worries. You give me you the, the Karen vibes. I don't know. That's surprising me? to hear. I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I, I have the, I'm, the chillest. I'm, the <laughs> I'm the chillest guy. Trust me. Like, I understand. And I think one thing I've learned is when you go in there calm, 
and you give like they can be a little moody, but you give them a, a more positive energy, you're going to get something accomplished. Now, if you don't get what you want, then that's when you start like, OK, I need to get what I want to get. But I feel like if you go and give them that good energy and try to calm them down, because mm-hmm. it's tough, man, working but in customer I, service. I, I you think, know? And I think the biggest point is looking at it from that perspective of of unequal value mm-hmm. values. And, and what's that book again? It's Getting called Getting More, more by, Getting Stuart Diamond. Diamond. by Stuart Diamond. I yeah. love that. It is. I love that story. I've read that book. Four or five times at least. Yeah. Like I read it. I loved it so much. The first time I read it, I immediately started reading it again. It is, it's given me so much just, it, it just life perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, uh, you know, your girlfriend's mad at you for something and you know what she mad at. Well, if you're thinking about it from her perspective, then you can at least mm-hmm. rather than fighting like mm-hmm. this, you're able to come along with them. And go next to them and say, hey, let's walk this together. And once you're with someone, it's actually very interesting how you can get someone to go a different direction if you're walking with them rather than trying to pull them or push them in a direction. Very good. That's huge. Switch it up a little bit. Um, NFTs. uh, (laughs) You know, I'm a big believer. If you don't have friends that dream big or think outside the box, you need to get those friends. So the other night we have dinner. Chris and, and, uh, and Drake and I, and we go to La Brazza and we spend probably just two hours. And the business model that I actually liked the most was similar to Chris's ad agency where you walked into a company and you said, hey, let us create more revenue and more value for you, zero dollars. And then we use maybe their internal marketing or their infrastructure today, but using Web3 to grow revenue for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what do you guys, you guys are obviously interested in the space. We talked for probably two hours about uh, ideas and things um there's even a community uh, project that you got in mm-hmm. drake right mm-hmm. yeah yeah the meta goals uh it's oklahoma started community um they've got some really cool artwork of uh it's i don't know it's kind of like a ghost with what looks like a jason mask on it and it's uh it, it looks it's cool they did a really good job with the artwork oh, yeah i think yeah. i've seen that uh yeah. it's uh, oklahoma project right mm-hmm. yeah i think it's uh, i think it's like meta goals i think it's meta goals underscore 1.0 on instagram or something like that is like the owner the creator is it his name is tony yeah nft tony. okay yeah, yeah tony. Okay, okay. Tony. interesting i've seen yeah. it um and i was like that's pretty dope like oklahoma's doing the thing so with that like do you guys did your research on it like as far as NFT, is it more of an art side of? So, I it, going into it. So I've been doing so since I sold my company and I stopped working for the acquirer. I've been kind of diving into cryptocurrency because I find it really well. Some of it was like, oh, people told me I'd like this. Let me let me dive in and check out a few things, and then I realized I really like it. Um, <laughs> and so twenty four uh, hours later, yeah, yeah. It's like, what are you what are you going to do? You're going to take some time off yeah, I'm going to take some time off. You know, I don't have to work for a little bit. And by not work, I mean, I'm going to look intensely at cryptocurrency and start trading it. Um, that's that's my level of... Uh, Relax. Like, yeah, that's my relaxation. Mm. Um, like, let me introduce more stress. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun for you. But, but anyway, so, so I go... God. So uh, I think Chris invited me to this party. He's like, oh, hey, they're doing this NFT launch. It's cool. I'm like, okay, I'm interested. Let's see what's going on. And I mean, the main thing was just supporting the project. Um, because I think it's really cool for Oklahoma City to have something that was started in Oklahoma and, and being built. And they were, I mean, I think there's still some available, um, but I think it was like, uh, I think it was like 66 bucks per NFT. And I was, I was like, you know, that's reasonable. It's supporting the community. It's helping them do something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I 
you know, I, I I, I'm in a different, it. I'm in a different position now in my life. And they're, they're all, all really young. It's like, I would love to be someone to help support. And so I got a That's couple, huge. I was like, it's just kind of a, kind of mm-hmm. a cool thing. And, you know, I ended up, I, I really like the artwork. I think this looks cool and I want to support what they're doing. Um, it's not, uh, and they, they're doing what they can to try and try and provide value for the holders. Um, they're still learning some things, figuring some things out, but you know, overall their, their intentions are, are really great. And so I think yeah. it was good that they, they approached it with, uh, you know, like as one of the first, or at least the, it's at least the first, you know, NFT project I've seen come out of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like that they're just focusing on the community. Uh, like, you know, there's the collectability of the NFT. Um, I think we all know that, collectability and stuff like that is where it's at right now, but eventually it's going to be more utility, just like, you know, you yeah. have Gary V on here. That's more utility, not collectability. Mm, yeah, I think that's um, But uh, I like that they're just using it to, to create access. Like mm-hmm. their their first event uh, had about 100 people at it, which, uh, or sorry, their second official event after the launch, you know, where it was like just community members. And you know what? Like I, I ended up buying one of the NFTs as well just to get access to the party because I was like, well, at the end of the day, I want to be around these like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that uh, it's kind of fun that they're they are community building things like that. Um, outside that, you know, Drake's got other little projects that he's working. Yeah, what's on, the most exciting thing you guys are seeing right now in Web three or ideas you're cultivating or? Oh, that's so deep. Uh, Do we have time for that? Yeah. <laughs> the uh, yeah. I think that. I mean, there's so much innovation in the space because I, so my background, you know, in school of finance and I like numbers. So I've been looking into decentralized finance, which I think is DeFi's really like interesting. DeFi is just fascinating the way that you can create uh, micro, right? Micro monetary systems, um, ecosystems that uh, allow people to provide to earn, yeah, providing liquidity to, to earn, earn interest with just by holding things. Um, I've been focused mainly on things like, so, you know, you've got like the, you've got Bitcoin. Well, Bitcoin doesn't pay me to own Bitcoin unless the price goes up. And so, you know, I started getting into this in November and when Bitcoin was like 69,000 and now I think today it's at 38 and change. And so you've got that crazy drop. Okay. Well, I've gone through that and with the currents, the cryptocurrencies that I've done, you know, Bitcoin's dropped almost 50% and I'm right at about even on my investments because I've been focused on finding things that, that pay me um, while I own them. And so it lowers my basis. It allows me to have income, passive income. And so I find that really interesting. That just as an idea is very interesting. It kind of changes the way that investing is. I also think that, um, you know, I was studying finance in school when the great uh, financial crisis hit, the 2008 financial crisis. And so I have a bit of skepticism about the stock market and banks anyway, because um, I know how that game is played really well. Um, and so seeing things that can upend that system a little bit, I think, are good. Disruption. Yeah, disruption. Disruption is yeah. good. And if you can earn some money while you're doing it, you know, then more power to them. So. That I think is interesting. NFTs, obviously very interesting. Tons of use cases. Um, I really like the art community. And so, you know, I like I like art. I like expanding the pie for artists, uh, kind of mm-hmm. like what you were talking about, where it's like, hey, you're already doing this with Canvas, but how can you do this digitally? Right. And then there's, you know, the utilities, creating value, having that as club access. That's cool with the ability to add liquidity if you need to get out. Like, you know, you have a country club membership, but if that, you know, you can't sell that. But if it's an NFT, you can sell that. Mm-hmm. And so I like that. And then I think that uh, gaming, 
uh, play during gaming is going to be huge because we're already spending. I mean, I don't Skins game. I don't game. Yeah. yeah, you see Fortnite and they're spending tons of money on that stuff. And, you know, what if you could actually play a game, earn rewards, and then sell that for, for actual money? Because or take what, that it, digital asset and mm-hmm. cross-play it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. So stuff like that I think is really interesting. Um so that's kind of a general thing, but mm. the, the space is so huge. I mean, you could you could spend hours just diving so into early just too. into one. Yeah, so early. Yeah, like it's just I love that the DeFi interests you because that's a sector that like I'm definitely interested in. Mm-hmm. But being that your background in finance, like I'm um, I'm probably not as deep as as you are into it. But I I've been more on how do I grow revenue for businesses with Web three and like mm-hmm. how does it help the economics of it like you know I, I see mark cuban talk about textbooks companies and how the resale for textbooks for college students is tough or if it was an nft and you could just transfer it digitally mm-hmm. uh make more sense um so like trying to look for disruptives like that that's a huge thing on. that's a huge thing i mean for me like so one thing that i've been just thinking in my head like looking at stable coins so stable coins for anybody that doesn't know they don't have any price action they're supposed to stay at a dollar and so you don't have the worry about will it go down, will it go up? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the risks on that are, met, are very small. But I can, I've found investments where I can earn anywhere from 7 to up to 140% just with stable coins. So, so you have a business. How so do you make money off of it if it's just a stable price? Because is it, if you have a certain amount, it gives you a percentage? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, okay. so what happens is essentially you have, you have uh, platforms. So think of Facebook, for instance. Let, let's use that as an example. Facebook needs more users. They have what's called network effects, where the more people join Facebook, you're on Facebook. Well, Facebook's probably a bad example because nobody's on Facebook, but yeah. Instagram. Instagram. You're on Instagram because your friends are on Instagram. You can connect with them on Instagram. So the more of your friends join Instagram, the more valuable Instagram becomes. It's the same way with the dollar or with any uh, any currency. The more people that are using that currency, the more valuable it becomes. So I also, as a currency, am, want to pay you in my own currency because it costs me nothing to make. And so if you give me your stable coins, I will give you a, you will still retain ownership of those stable coins. But just like a bank, you deposit money in a bank, they go loan it out. Mm-hmm. You give me stable coins and I will pay you in my currency. You retain ownership of your stable coins, but I'll pay you in my currency and that currency will be something that you use to transact mm. in the digital economy and as a result i can pay you a much higher percentage in my coin than i can with everything else and so that's mm. kind of how it works and so i used instagram as an example because instagram goes on doing user acquisition and in early on when they were doing user acquisition they were doing it with a lot of paid advertising and so this is essentially the same thing because it's all digital they're just doing it with actual money yeah i mean a lot of the DeFi stuff a lot of you know, anything in Web3, it's it's a lot of finance mixed with marketing, which is mm-hmm. uh, interesting because it's strong background in marketing, strong background in finance. And so I think that uh, that's probably why our conversation just kind of yeah. went the way it did. Because uh, it really, at the end of the day, you're, you're just trying to build an audience. Audience building is the most important mm-hmm. part in any of those spaces. That's, yeah. uh, you can have, have a great project, mm-hmm. uh, but if you're not building the community around it and the audience around it, then... Yeah, it's, a, off the ground. it's right. a network effects. Yeah, that's that's huge. I think that's uh, one important for anything audience. Yeah, you know, yeah. When you're dealing with the new tech, there's there's so much things that's got, that that that's so unknown mm-hmm. that uh, that if you have that long game approach, I think you just you have those conversations. You find that right brand, and then you fight 
find what fits for it. But it takes time to to see what that value is. It's, it's not trying to be one of those guys that come in and try and be a cash grab where, hey, I mm-hmm. want you to buy this NFT, spend me a hundred bucks is the mint price. Uh, but then you offer no utility or you don't plan on following that project for the next 30, 40 years, mm-hmm. you know. Long, long game. And That's it what ruins it your reputation, to. yeah. yeah. Well, I think also a lot of it is someone with the intrinsic value of if you actually like the art. Yeah. And that's a huge thing too. Like, you know, yeah, like there's there's a certain, you know, we have art in our homes because we like to be surrounded by beautiful things. And so if you have if you have access to buy beautiful things, you would like to do that. And if I bought Ethereum at $100 and it's at 2500 to 2600 right now, and I've made all this money with Ethereum. Well, if there are other people that are supporting the Ethereum ecosystem by selling art on there, one, I've made a crap load of money from the price appreciation, but two, I want to transact in the thing that I have the most of. Mm-hmm. And so you have a whole bunch of people that have made a whole bunch of money who are like, all right, well, I want something that digitally represents me. I want something that looks nice. And also, so they can get, they can, they can reinvest what they've made mm-hmm. without pulling it out of the ecosystem and having to pay capital gains on that. Yeah. So you got to you remember mm-hmm. the reason NFTs are hitting the way they are right now is because people have made a lot of money in DeFi. Mm-hmm. You know, they've, they've got all this Bitcoin or they've got all this Ethereum sitting there and they need to do something with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, instead of just letting it trade, they can now reinvest it in an NFT project that they care about where yeah. they, they like the art or they like the community. Uh, and it, and it anchors that value a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like people are like, why are people dumping mm-hmm. so much money into these projects? It's like, it, it's because they care about it and they're, they believe in the ecosystem. Well, and the more people that use it, the more people are transacting in that cryptocurrency, the more valuable that cryptocurrency becomes, just like he's saying, like that's, that's a lot of what they're doing by doing it. So if I give you, you know, two Ethereum for this card and other people go, Oh, that's something that's a trend. Mm-hmm. Other people buy into Ethereum, which puts more buy pressure on it, which I, with reduced supply increases the amount that I already have remaining that I've already bought. So yeah, I think Ethereum is going to skyrocket. It's just a matter of time. I think it's going to be right up there with Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin's projected to hit 500 K in the next five years, you know? Yeah. And I think Ethereum is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see. I mean, you, you can never time the market. You know, Russia's going to invade Ukraine and everyone's like, I need to get rid. I need to have cash. I need to be cash heavy, sell the stocks, sell the crypto. So everything's tanking right now. You wonder if it's a market play or not. Uh, and that's why you can never time. It's the one market. of those. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I think that's one of those. That's just market manipulation at that point, you know. And then it gets even deeper when you realize that other institutions are starting to get into it because they're looking at the forecast, the economic forecast going, hmm, might not be as good of a year, but DeFi gets good yields. So we haven't got our we got our bonuses from last year, but we need to generate a return in order to have our bonuses this year. So the best way to do that is to drive the price down, buy it at the bottom, and then we'll show that we've you know we wrote we're the smart ones as institutional bankers. We're the smart ones. We bought Bitcoin at thirty eight thousand and we wrote it up to a hundred, and now we get a fat bonus. <laughs> do, besides, the do you guys know who the largest holder of Bitcoin is? No. The U.S. government. Yeah, U.S. The government. U.S. government. The U.S. government. Yep. Oh, USA really? USA is the largest holder of Bitcoin. It's usually through the U.S. marshals and, and some legal, and most of it in the early days has been a legal activity that they would confiscate. You know, they, they just confiscated they the like uh, or whatever. a yeah. billion dollars in the Manhattan the other day yeah. from a couple of smugglers on that, uh, that hack. Mm-hmm. That so the it. U.S. government has the largest 
uh, you know, single is the largest single holder of Bitcoin in the world. Jesus, them. Well, yeah. when you're when you're sitting there and you got El Salvador using it as legal tender, I mean, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you own the most. I mean, look, look at the government always. God damn, they're they're <laughs> all still, over. It's still decentralized though, so you know it's they so own how it. Long, I mean, they well, you'd have to to hack Bitcoin. You'd have to do a lot. You know, so, the worst part is, I heard that the government sometimes has these auctions where they'll auction off Bitcoin at a lesser value than what it currently sits at, and you have to be invited to these auctions. So it's like, damn, why can't the little guy get invited? Let's, oh, let's, find, let's find the <laughs> NFT project that gets you access to those auctions. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, I think it's a monopoly. Obviously, uh, you know, politicians are very big into, you know, the stock market and buying what's going to either short or, you know, skyrocket. Mm-hmm. I think Warren Buffett had a relationship with Activision before Microsoft <laughs> yeah. bought, you know, he was like, okay, let me just buy a shit ton of the uh, Activision dollars worth of Activision stocks. And then next thing you know, the big news comes out, Oh, Microsoft bought, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. you know, yeah, the biggest, the biggest uh, topic right now that I've been kind of following is should politicians be able to participate yeah. in open markets? And it's a big question right now. And I think a lot of people are saying no, no, no. They have too much influence yeah. on the the growth of those companies that they're invested in. And there's too much conflict of interest there. Mm-hmm. I, yep. I think that will be a conversation that continues happening. I, you mentioned the, the Activision acquisition uh, since we were talking about acquisitions and stuff earlier. How fascinating is it that Microsoft did that? And if you think about it, I, what other company could have bought an asset for that much money and it be just chill and smooth. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they got, uh, every other company would have had, you know, like you know, if Apple had done that, Apple's getting too big. Apple's doing, you know, you know, Apple, Apple, Apple. Microsoft, Microsoft is huge too. Yeah. That's what I'm saying though. Like they did, huge. It was an all cash deal. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Microsoft has been like, but all these tech companies just, are cash heavy. You see Google making these huge but, acquisitions, but, like Waymo. But when they're doing and, when they're doing these acquisitions, though, it is surrounded by controversy and like and like it's like oh, I can't believe you know Facebook bought you know WhatsApp. That was you know I can't believe you mm-hmm. know uh, antitrust. It, you know I can't believe they bought Instagram. You know antitrust. Like um, I think that uh, it's fascinating to me that Microsoft was able to make such a huge play, and it was just like. Everyone's like golf clapping about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't there. There wasn't like backlash or any negativity. It was like, oh, I wonder what Sony's going to do now that maybe Call of Duty might be an Xbox exclusive. I think that was the headline there, you know. Uh, But yeah, it's a big play. That's a big. big, That's huge. I'm curious to see where they're going, and even like the gaming metaverse. 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 That's what they're doing. Uh, They want that game engine. They want that. They want that game engine to get you on the Xbox platform. And then they want to, they're eventually, they see where it's going. The digital assets are, yeah. are going to be major markets and advertising opportunities. Uh, and Zuckerberg and, exchange, uh, currency exchange. and Bill Gates are good friends, right? They said Microsoft was teaming up with Meta. So that oh, yeah. they were going to help drive their metaverse, Microsoft's tech. So you're talking about users now and all this software development. I mean, Jesus, how do you, you connect the two? Yeah. I wonder what's the real intent. Get more information out of us. Keep selling. Well, the, the, the bad the part about it, the bad part about it to me is like Meta is you don't the sandbox decentralized. I could buy. I could buy land. Mm-hmm. I can invest in the ecosystem. Meta is not selling land. Meta is not selling anything. 
So, like, I think it just becomes more centralized. Yeah, we got a metaverse and we're decentral, but no, we're central. But here's the thing, though. Like, Mark Zuckerberg, I just look at the guy. And I trust him. I just trust him. Just, yeah. just I just want. I just, yeah, I just yeah. look at him like I this guy. Oh, yeah. This guy looks legit. He really has my best interest at heart. He wants to do what is best for me. That yeah, was the pale face. Yeah, for the exactly. Court. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but the way he talks, the way he talks is just so comforting to me. It's just I. I but think about know, it though. Like he's tr- he's actually working on an NFT project right now where it converts Mark Zuckerberg's voice into a to a white noise for soothing, calming effects <laughs> to no. help you sleep. No, I'm I'm absolutely not. (laughs) But just think about it, right? But there's billions in it. (laughs) Yeah, you you think, you know, you can't sell anything like land and stuff, but think about putting the goggles on and seeing an Apple billboard on the at your house at your virtual house or you know, you're going to your neighbor and you know, you can see it's like on billboards and like Companies are going to pay big bucks. It's like know, on Ready else. Player One. It's like on Ready Player One, For where sure. he's like, where he's like, gonna, yeah. he's like, we believe that we can put ninety percent of their visual field with ads. It is going to be like that. I feel yeah, like that. No, for sure. And not. people are going to participate. But the bad thing is, is when Facebook gets the call from whoever Biden, Pence, and says, "Hey, we want that billboard removed." Okay, we're going to remove that billboard. Oh yeah. In Decentraland, mm-hmm. I purchased that billboard. I mm-hmm. own that billboard. You want to change the content on it? You buy it from me. That's a difference. And so we're talking about the same thing with YouTube, mm-hmm. our content being on there, mm-hmm. and then them getting the call and saying, that's misinformation. Let's take it off. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. And we had that. We, I mean, that's what we talked about Gary yeah, Vee, yeah, right? Yeah, and he said, you know, I don't think so. I think governments will always play a role in that. And when does that switch? Can we get out of that? You know? Well, what would be really interesting is when, and this is something that no, I find interesting because of what I was doing with the internet service provider is what happens when they're doing it down to the internet line that you're using. Oh, and so everything is going through AT&T right now or level mm-hmm. three or some of the big internet service providers. And they're like, ah, oh, well, can't use that. So it'll be interesting to see when you have, uh, I predict that there will be internet service providers who have their own data lines and you will start to see some, some, different alternative internet service providers if that ever if it ever if anybody the first time that switch mm-hmm. is flipped mm-hmm. you know you're thinking about i need my own servers i need my own data lines going connecting all my my data servers like mm-hmm. there's across like the united states so there'll be another uh play with fiber there i think that's interesting and you know even another thing that i'm worried about is uh you know and it's something that I actually love about the technology. I love I love the blockchain technology because it, it keeps all transactions and it keeps a record and mm-hmm. it keeps there's a lot of transparency in that. But that could be a bad thing in the sense of if we don't pay with cash anymore and we're paying with our digital coin, everything we do, everything we buy, we already see that data collection is helping these Facebook advertisers and 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 Instagram keep us on screen. Mm. Well, what about when they know everything I purchase? That's why Facebook and they add Libra. that into the emotion on my Apple Watch that's getting my heart rate high when I look at something that I'm, you know, that data is very powerful, and that's kind of what scares me if someone could use that in an evil capacity. Well, that's why Facebook wanted Libra. Because it's like, what do we not see yet? Mm-hmm. Their wallets. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, think about Apple. You Apple, learn a lot Apple about card. somebody with what they buy. If I track mm-hmm. everything you buy, I learn a lot about you. Yeah. You know? That so pattern, that's a scary behavior. Yeah. Huh. Why is he buying so many chips at the gas station? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that dude loves hot Cheetos, man. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see where it goes. I'm very curious about it, but 
Man, I think we should wrap it up. Uh, been here an hour and eighteen minutes. Yeah. Time flew. Oh yeah, yeah. great flew. advice. Yes. Thanks guys. Thank Appreciate you guys the support. I hope to have a follow up. No, we yeah. are. Uh, yeah. I think it's sooner. <laughs> there I think we sooner because I think it, the, this first podcast is when you break the ice. Yeah, and then now second conversation around is going to be more of like these kind of things. Meta. Were you guys going to read all the books that we I, recommended before no, the next think, time that yeah. we talk about? I think follow ups on in podcasts are going to become a bigger thing. So I think it's a. I think it's I, a good. I think it's great because yes. you have that first initial impression. And that's like, yeah, then it's like, I, so I totally agree with you. Yes. So we got so that down. out of the way. And I'm down. Uh, yeah. Next we, one is going to be Next fun. one, they might have a big venture. They're launching. Yes. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> There's some things that I left out, but I think it's for the let the next podcast I have you guys in. Cause it's more of like the fun side of stuff. So you guys, I know you guys travel. Casey showed me a couple of pictures of you guys doing, you know, these meetings and stuff like that. Kentucky so Derby. I was, I was, I got yeah, yeah, yeah. Kentucky Derby. I, that, that, you know, yeah. I think that would be a cool one. But yeah, thank you guys for coming on, man. And yeah. uh, we're going to follow up, you know, so. Awesome. Thanks. We'll see you guys Great on the next one. Peace.